Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading through the entire Bible together, out loud, chapter by chapter, Mark 15 today. This, as we saw last time, it's one of these chapters in Mark where you kind of think you know how it goes, but because there are parallel accounts in all of the Gospels, it's it's hard sometimes to remember, oh yeah, hang on, but is this in Mark, or is that in John, or is this in Luke? And each one of them has a unique perspective here. So yes, this is the Passion account. Uh, this is what Mark, how Mark tells it to us about our Lord Jesus being delivered over to Pilate, and then the actual crucifixion. Uh, but what are some of the details here? There, there's some interesting stuff. Uh, again, Elijah um, comes out. Uh, there's, there's a little bit about this about the burial, in particular, Joseph of Arimathea. What's going on there? We've seen these unique characters in the Gospel of Mark that that seem to pop out in connection to the burial of the Lord Jesus. What's Mark getting at? So these are some of the questions here. We know the story, we know how it goes, but do we know what Mark is contributing uh, from his unique perspective? Those are the things we'll want to be talking about today. Joining us uh, for, for the first time here, we've got Pastor Duncan McClellan, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Ankeny, Iowa. Good morning, brother. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I know you're no stranger to KFUO, but I'm glad to to be having a discussion with you today. Morning, AJ. It's good to be with you this morning. Yeah, so, I mean, it is interesting, right? I mean, I was I was just struck by this. I was just reviewing chapter 14 yesterday, right? And you, know, you have the trial and it's just so interesting because I feel like we all kind of have like a, a movie in our heads about how, how each of these scenes goes in the Passion. And I had forgotten how, for example, in the trial, I didn't even mention this yesterday, it's only in Mark that you have this uh, this emphasis on all of the false witnesses who are being brought before Christ, how they contradict each other. And it's just little stuff like that. Like, you know, Mark, Mark gets at that, the others don't. And, and the same thing here in chapter 15, right? Yeah, the, the idea is that Jesus has done nothing wrong, and that comes out as we'll, as we'll read this when, and Matthew kind of does this too, when Pilate asks the crowd who has asked, asked for a death sentence, okay, present your witnesses, present your case. They have no case. They can only shout crucify him. And just how, I mean, because again, like you said, we've all heard this story before. We know how it goes. But just think about you're in a courtroom and, and the defense or the, the prosecuting attorney is asked to present their case. And all they say to the judge is give him the chair. I mean, that gets right. laughed out of court on its face. And, and the, the prosecuting attorney is held in contempt. And yet we've grown, grown so used to, you know, in some churches, the, uh, the congregation is the one that shouts out crucify him. And in doing so, we don't really see how ridiculous uh, that appeal is without presenting the case. Jesus is innocent. Absolutely. I mean, and that's something that comes out in all the gospel accounts. It gets it gets emphasized in different ways. I think I've you know, I've been told that in Luke that kind of gets emphasized maybe in some ways the most, especially when you have that um, centurion there who who sees him and he says, you know, truly this man was righteous or innocent. But of course, in, in Mark today, a little bit different. And, and some of these things that, that are said by the centurion, uh, the, the things in the dialogue that are recorded here in Mark, these little nuances here. So it's going to be fun to look at some of those and, and try to see, okay, what's 
uh, you know, kind of let, let's kind of keep them separate, keep them distinct here. I know that's always a struggle for me trying to remember which one, which one's in Mark and which one's in Luke and the rest. But good to have you on looking at this chapter. Uh, without any further ado, uh, let's get started. Would you open this up with a prayer? Sure. Lord, we ask that you be with us as we look at your word today. Let it have its way with us that we may know more about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit we may be made more like him. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so we're going to go ahead and read the the whole chapter straight through, kind of just help us see all the pieces come together before we go and look at it in detail. But before we do... You already kind of mentioned a little bit that the innocence of of Jesus comes out. Any other themes or common threads throughout the chapter? So just some just some things to point out. I think in the first half of the chapter, look listen to how often Jesus is called the King of the Jews, and then about halfway through, after verse twenty six, that goes away, and then he's referred to as the uh, King of Israel and the Son of God. And, but, but again, just how often it's it said that he is the king of the Jews, and, and, and why, and what does this mean? Um, and then also, um, Mark draws out the, the suffering that Christ endured there in the first third of the, of the chapter, and then also, what leads the centurion to make the proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God as he does? What, what happens right before that that leads the centurion to make that, to draw that conclusion? Um, I'm looking forward to talking about that. I want to bounce some ideas off you and see what you have to think. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always game for bouncing some things back and forth. Uh, yeah, I think that's good. We've seen that throughout Mark, though. You know, the the kind of slow and steady revelation that he is the King, the Son of God, the, the Messiah. You know, that he's been telling the the demons right to to be quiet. He's been really uh, indirect for most of the gospel about whether, you know, he comes out and allows himself to be called that. Um, it wasn't actually in, I mean, it wasn't until really the last chapter. It was, um, that was another thing that struck me too in chapter 14, how uh, when they finally uh, have the the question that's actually just brought up before him, you know, uh, it's like, are you, well, are you the son of God? And he actually just says, I am. I mean, that's how that's how Mark puts it. So this is finally we're we're not we're not being shy about it at all. We're just going to go ahead and just you know here it is outright. So so here it is, Mark fifteen. Here it's just louder and clearer than ever from the top, chapter fifteen, starting with verse one. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, At the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. 
But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to be crucified. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was about the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let, to, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought, bought a linen shroud and, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. 
and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So it's, it's really striking to me, just going over it again, how uh, the economy of words here that Mark has. I mean, there's so many details that I could remember as we were just going through it. You know, you think about, uh, you know, the details about, you know, no one had ever been laying in the tomb and, um, you know, it was like belonged to like a rich person, right? And kind of, uh, you know, the, the debate about, oh, well, wait, hang on a second, you know, should you give them the body because then they'll do something with it? And I mean, there's, there's just all these little details or, or just um, the exchange even with Pilate. It's so short here in, in Mark 15. So just all kind of across the board, uh, Mark 15 is in some ways just kind of the most nuts and bolts, the, the quickest moving, kind of, kind of the most dramatic without the, all the, the side tangents account um, but there are a couple places where you you do get some uh, details brought out still. Um, I think particularly around, uh, I mean, like in connection to, I think, Elijah and, and the little scene there. But yeah, what, what, are, what are your thoughts just kind of going going over it again afresh here? Yeah, no, it was, it was nice listening to you read it. I, I was struck by how small a role Pilate plays. He's really not yeah. a, a, con, a consequential figure here and how, you know, as, as you're reading it, trying to focus on what does Mark, what does Mark want me to, where's his focus in uh, the passion and crucifixion of Christ, and I think it's it's the he he takes you just boom 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 until you get to the crucifixion, and then he slows down a little bit, and I think it's interesting the details he provides after the crucifixion. He wants you to know that the followers of Jesus knew where he was buried so that when they, you know, so when the tomb is empty, you know, they didn't go to the wrong tomb. They didn't get confused. They knew exactly where he was laid, why he was laid there. Um, You can almost see Mark answering questions that would pop up in the mind of his intended reader, right? How is it that Jesus died so quickly? Can we be sure that he's actually dead? You know, and and, and that where Pilate plays that role of, of the honest skeptic going, wait, crucifixion, six hours? crucifixion doesn't take six hours is he really dead yes and we can prove it and and so on and so forth um i think that's right. interesting the pilot is is almost playing the role of of in the hands of the uh, christian apologist you know offering proof that jesus is dead so that when he rises from the dead you know that he actually rose from the dead um yeah also, i think that kind of Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think that kind of also just kind of generally how Mark is just kind of spelling things out. I, I mean, like, that's a, and that's kind of an interesting balance, because on the one hand, he's not going into a lot of detail, but he is sort of just, he is just explicitly saying things that, as you were saying, like, might come up. And that, and that was something that struck me, too, just he, he spells out, hey, guys, when we say day of preparation, uh, that means Friday, I mean, he actually is the one who who, who tells you that he tell he translates um, uh, what is it um, place of the skull he translates uh, Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani um, you know he actually he says um, what was the other one too uh, the palace right like he says oh, that is you know the governor's headquarters he explains right he kind of glosses and kind of gives you those kinds of questions that might pop up if you're just unfamiliar or trying to track with things. Um, he's in that way. He's kind of more explicit than the other evangelists. 
He is, but he, he also leaves you to draw the conclusion, right? So he translates, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he doesn't say, uh, by the way, check Psalm uh, 22, right? He doesn't, sure. he, doesn't, he doesn't connect the dots completely. Right. Um, he doesn't tell you what does it mean that the centurion calls out this man was a son of God or, or you know, that he, he doesn't answer all the questions. He leads you. He's a, he's a good author. Some say inspired. Uh, lead you to <laughs> to finish his work, if if you will, yeah. um, in in the whole. What does this mean? Based on the details he's he's given you. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that way of putting more. it. He he hasn't he hasn't made the conclusion for you, and, and I think that in some ways that's that's what's where, where this is all going. Right in chapter sixteen, of course, next time, um, with, especially with the short ending, he doesn't make the conclusion for you. But he, I mean, he is he is being explicit though to set you up. So that you can, you have all the data you need to make that conclusion. And I think Mark's. I'm not Mark. Mark is not my full disclosure. Mark's not my. Uh, uh, Mark's not my 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 number one gospel. But I think Mark mm-hmm. does have the best account of the resurrection with the short ending, mm-hmm. uh, that the women leave and they're terrified. You know, and you're just going, Jesus is raised from the dead. Who's scared of Easter Sunday? Uh, well, if you thought it was the end of the age because the resurrection of the dead had begun, you'd be terrified too. And that's where he leaves you. We're in the end times. We're in the end of the age. The dead are being raised, beginning with Jesus. And it's it's a fantastic ending if you understand what it means that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But you have to figure that out yourself. Um, otherwise, it's a weird. This is a weird way to do Easter uh, kind of kind of text. Um, right. But here in uh, but here in fifteen. There's some things that he does, like reading over it this time, you know, in, in verse 39, um, the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, said, truly this man was a son of God. You're going, well, this wasn't the first execution that the centurion had seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I doubt the centurion is saying, you know, of the two robbers to the right and left of Jesus and to other criminals that he's watched be executed, you know, I bet this man is the son of God. So how is it that Jesus dies that's any different from how anyone else dies uh, mm. from crucifixion. And of course, Jesus calls out to God. But I would imagine that other criminals called out to God or their God uh, near the moment of their death. That wouldn't be a strange thing. But I think right. what Mark is drawing your attention to, and this is where there's a little bit of uncomfortableness in, in the death of Jesus, is mm-hmm. that Jesus, um, it says, uh, uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Um, people who are being crucified don't utter a loud cry before they die because they're they're suffocating, right? They're dying by their in, in many ways. But one of the ways crucifixion kills you is asphyxiation. The lungs are filling up. You can't cry out, and yet Jesus does. So it, I, I think Mark wants to leave you with a little bit of a question: What's killing Jesus? Right. Right. He shouldn't yeah, be able to cry out loudly right before he dies from crucifixion. That doesn't happen. So what's killing him? That That's really interesting. And I, and I do want to come back to that because the way that Mark talks about the centurion is is a little bit unique. And and just as you're saying, the, the, the reason is because there's something unique about the way this man dies. I mean, that, and that's what it says there, right? It's 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 by observing him. You know, so so what what is what's the, what's the point there? I mean, I think there really is one. Um, yeah, so I mean, a lot lot of good things here. Um, 
Before a couple minutes before our break here, let's just go back to the top here and just start with the beginning. You know, this is uh, one of my favorite quotes, right? You know, uh, start from the beginning, and when you get to, when you get to the end, stop. Uh, so, <laughs> looking at these uh, first few verses here, um, I mean, it really is interesting how, uh, just as you were saying, Pilate is not a big character here, right? This is not Luke, where there's like all this stuff about. I mean, like. Uh, the, the background and we, we find out about Pilate's wife and all I mean like just no um, the exchange with Pilate here is is very short in fact um, here all the, the only thing that Mark records for us is the Lord's response you have said so to Pilate so I mean it, it's just interesting to me it just highlights I guess just the the central question are you king Right. I mean, it's just it's just that's the thing we're focusing on. We're not talking about, you know, do you have authority and all the rest and my kingdom's not of this. It's just are you the king? That's the thing that he's got focused there. And then and then what we're left with is this reaction of Pilate. You know, speaking of the reaction, you mentioned, you know, the women running away from the tomb. This is just kind of again and again what what Mark gives us. The question is, Jesus, is this guy the king? And then all of these people's reactions. And Pilate's just dumbfounded. Well, and this is the last thing Jesus says to people. I mean, he calls out to his father, but Jesus doesn't talk during this. Again, unlike the other Gospels where, you know, from the Gospel of John, he he speaks to the beloved disciple and his mom, you know, creates the first church there at the foot of the cross. He doesn't have a dialogue with Pilate about what is truth. Um, He doesn't do any of this. These are his last words to people. You have said so. And he puts, he puts the words back, and another gospel writers pick up on this too, he puts Pilate's words back in his mouth. Because again, you're reading this text in the Greek, there's no punctuation. So Pilate is actually saying, right. you are the king of the Jews, and it's up to you to put the question mark there. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus plays off of that, uh, Mark plays off of that, and says, is that what you're saying, Pilate? You know, are, <laughs> you know that's what you're saying. Yeah. And, and it's... Uh, it's, it's neat. You can pick that up in Greek. English, you can't really do it so well because your your translators have put the question mark there for you. Um, right. But, it, but yeah, you're right. And the question is, you know, is Jesus king? And what kind of king rules in this way? What kind of king allows himself to be mocked, tortured, spit on, abused, the way that Mark, Mark gives you the litany of abuses that Christ suffers? What kind of king does this? What kind of king is abandoned by his God? Right. I, I think that that's what's going on here, right? This this disbelief. And, and it is, it is in, yeah, uh, I, I appreciate you mentioning that about the word order there. It's the same thing that happened, at least as Mark presents it in Mark 14, right? Where the uh, the subject goes first, so it's you. So if you just, if you did read it just kind of straight, you could read it as a statement. Uh, you are the Christ, um, the son of uh the son of the blessed one, right? In, in um, chapter 14, and then here, um, you are the, the king of the Jews. What, what's interesting, right, is that, um, you know, in Matthew, there's that cryptic response of, well, you've said so, um, which, which you're, you're, people have, have wrestled with for a long time. Like, well, what exactly is Jesus trying to say with that? I mean, that's such a kind of kind of weird response, right? I mean, is he saying, like, well, that's what you think, um, I remember, like in uh, I always I mentioned this too much in Jesus Christ Superstar. I, I think I think that he like they have him say like, well, that's what you say, right? Which is just kind of a very strange 
cryptic response. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about what, what is he getting at with that, but we got to take our break here. Everybody hang on. We're looking at Mark chapter 15 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Thursday, May 28th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Nabil and Jean Noir of Hartford, South Dakota. Nabil made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of his bride, Jean. Together they are thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ joined them together. They celebrate their 43rd wedding anniversary today. Thank you, Nabil and Jean Noir, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO day sponsor. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Mark chapter 15 today, joined today by our guest, Pastor Duncan McClellan, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Ankeny, Iowa. If you've got a question for me or Pastor McClellan, do give us a call if you're listening live. Um, Actually... Thanks, Andy. Uh, email today. Email it today. Uh, we're doing some of that. Uh, we're working remotely in the midst of everything going on. So email kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, if you're following along on Facebook, uh, you can do facebook.com slash aj.espinosa. Uh, also, don't want to neglect to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you for your support of Thy Strong Word their website, lhfmissions.org. Uh, yeah, so we got some time for uh, questions that come in. Uh, Andy will let me know if anything does come in. But yes, brother, we were looking here at this response, this little exchange. You know, he, he says this in Mark, you know, you have said so. Um, in Matthew, I was checking this yesterday, uh, that's, that's the response that he has both times, to both the chief priest and to Pilate. Um, I mean, both times, I mean, it's enough to, uh, I mean, you know, the chief priest, like, gets it and says, well, okay, that's enough. Um, but but here in Mark, you know, you've got one one way and one the other. It, it makes it feel to me like Mark's saying they basically mean the same thing. Like, you know, like Pilate is supposed to hear this and be like, okay, yeah, you're you're agreeing then, you're, you're saying yes. But I mean, I think I think that's the the thing you say there. I mean, you see there in uh, was it verse five there? It says he's a you know he ama- he was amazed. Um, I think it's just as you were saying. I, I think it's not necessarily like he's I- impressed. I I, th- I think he's just baffled. You know, I, I mean, he's just. Um, I, I mean, certainly like that 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 word there, amazed. Uh, it could mean um, you know, kind of 
full of like awe or being impressed. But but I, I think he's I think he's just baffled. He doesn't know what to say. I mean, even his question, he, he sort of I think it kind of almost is a statement. It's like, <laughs> you are the son of God. Uh, you, you're you know like like you were saying, this isn't the first guy that they have executed for claiming to be the king of the Jews, right? And he won't be the last. Uh, but but he's but very is, different from all the others. But this guy's innocent. Like I think I think pilots are going. The case against you is is as flimsy as they become. Jesus, just yeah. say no, and then you're free. All you have to do is say no. Like, this isn't hard, <laughs> and and there is no case against you. You're going to allow them to put you, an innocent man, to death. I mean, just say yeah. no. Yeah, no, and that is um, go- going back to the Jesus Christ superstar. I've got to stop referencing that. But that is something like you know, in the exchange, which was interesting, the way they depict it. You know, Pilate's just like, I guess you want to die. You know, like fine, I, if you if you want to die so bad, if that's your mission, right? I'll 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 let you do it. Um, but but that's I mean that's interesting, kind of how they bring that out because in some ways it does seem like that's what's going on that. Pilot just can't figure this out. It's like I'm I'm giving you an out right here. I'm I'm telling you I don't I, I don't believe this. It's interesting in Mark that that um it says you know he perceives that they've done this out of envy. He's like guys I I know what's going on here, All right? You, you don't like that he's more popular with the people than you are. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we're going to execute him. Uh, but he's just he just doesn't he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get what's going on. This man is not acting like 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 a normal person who should normally at this point be begging for his life. Right. I mean, and, and, and Jesus' response, I think, isn't strong enough that Pilate could say, okay, you're making yourself, you're making yourself a king in opposition to Caesar. So from, from us Romans, you're, you're a threat to us. Jesus hasn't responded in that way. Right. So he hasn't, he's flying under the radar as far as Caesar is concerned with that answer. And he knows that the Jews are up to no good by trying to put him to death. All he wants Jesus to say is, just say no, right? Just don't you, you have no case against right. you, and you're going to allow them to prevail. Why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense to me. I'm amazed. Never seen anything like right. this. Right, right. Why aren't, why aren't you? Why aren't you taking this that, that, I'm, that I'm giving you here? Um, so you know. So there, there is another reaction, right? We get another reaction, and it seems like like all Mark uh, really wants to get really wants to have us get from Pilate is that from the perspective of people who are all about worldly power, they just don't get him. Um, and, and there's there's yet another reaction, right? Like I mentioned uh, in chapter 14, all those false witnesses, Mark says what? None of them agree, right? They contradict each other. I, I, think, I think Mark has done this masterfully that he is showing us how there's all these contradictory responses and reactions to Jesus, some people are, are are impressed. Some people are just dumbfounded. Some people are, wish he would go further. I mean, I mean, there's all these different kinds of reactions, uh, but but what's what's the right one? And and I think it's almost like process of elimination that he's trying to get us to the right one. Um, we're we're still going to have another wrong reaction though. First, now you got to deal with the crowd, um, and when it comes to the crowd, um, you know, again, it, it's uh, you know, Mark being a little bit explicit here. He's saying like, okay, now this is the custom, right? He's spelling it out for us, um, but but then in the in the exchange here, right? It's just kind of very quickly. Uh, what what what's he done? 
doesn't matter. Just crucify him. There's no, you know, I'm going to wash my hands of all of this. And, you know, the kind of the extended trying to, like, get him off. Um, it's just kind of very straightforward. Um, I mean, and 15, too, it's like he just, it seems to be a very quick movement. Pilate's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll have him scourged. And then he's delivered or to be crucified. It happens very quickly. Boom, boom. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, Mark Mark does not seem to be overly concerned with developing a, you know, is Pilate a believer or is he an enemy kind of personality profile? I think a lot of people want to know, you know, is Pilate for Jesus and there are his hands tied or is Pilate a perpetrator of, of evil? He doesn't really entertain those questions very well. I mean, it's Pilate's job is to move Jesus from um, condemnation from the Jewish council to Golgotha, and in that he succeeds masterfully. Um, but he knows that right. this is different. This shouldn't be happening. He does try to get Jesus off by saying, hey, you know, it is custom for me to release one of you, you know, knucklehead, so uh, how about it just be Jesus and we can all go home? And the crowd, um, you know, is, is whipped up to say, no, give us Barabbas. And, you know, it does say something, you know, who uh, does... Un- unregenerate human beings, who do they want for their for their neighbor? Would they rather have a murderer and an insurrectionist, or would they rather have the Son of God? Of course, they'd rather have Barabbas as their neighbor. Uh, that, it is it is a, a commentary on human nature that the crowd can be whipped up uh, to, and, and didn't seem to take a whole lot of effort to ask for Barabbas. And so again, then that begs the question, big picture, why is Jesus, the Son of God, going through all this for people who would rather have Barabbas as their neighbor anyway? Why save us? Why go through yeah. all of this? And, and at the end of it, at, at the bottom of that, you know, at the bottom of it all is God's unexplainable, unfathomable love for his creation. Well, and that, that's really interesting, too, the way that, that Mark juxtaposes them, because there's a couple different ways to, to kind of put them together. And that is an interesting thing. Um, you know, like when, when you line the two up, say, in John, you know, in, in the Gospel of John, John makes a lot more of referring to Jesus as, as the son of the father and, and kind of making that connection, which is very interesting then because Barabbas literally means that son of the father. Um, and so you've kind of got that seems to be kind of what John is bringing out for us. Um, and then Matthew and Luke, I, I mean, Luke, Luke is, you know, kind of really pressing like the, the innocence um, card. Um, Matthew, I think a little, a little bit different. Here in Mark, what's interesting is that he explicitly says, right, uh, that he had committed murder in the insurrection. Like, I'm not—I'm trying to recall. I'm not sure if the other Gospels actually make that explicit, um, that, that it's, hey, we have a murderer, and then we have the king of the Jews. Um, and, 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 like, which one do you want? And that's a very interesting way that Mark is juxtaposing the two. Which, which do you want? Do you want king or do you want murder? Right. And, and a king who, I mean, one of the things in the Gospels that once you see it, you can't unsee it, is that no one dies or stays dead in the presence of Jesus. And here you have, so in that sense, it, it highlights the, the distinction between the two. Jesus heals, raises the dead. Nobody dies or stays dead in his presence versus Barabbas, who's out there taking life. Who do you want to be your neighbor? And the crowd, again, without a whole lot of, it doesn't say that the, the, the Jewish leaders have to work very hard at it convince the crowd to ask for Barabbas. And, you know, it's because Barabbas doesn't, doesn't compel you to follow him. Uh, Barabbas lets you do whatever you want. 
Um, Jesus, on the other hand, follow me. You know, um, there's a commitment there. There's a um, an all-consuming change in identity. When Jesus is your neighbor and when you are a follower of Jesus, he doesn't let you do what you want. He leads you into a relationship with his father and righteousness. And uh, people would rather take the chance of having a murderer living next door than that. Well, right. Well, and then, um, so so I guess actually I was just checking my notes. So like Luke actually does have that too. The, the flip side, right? Like, uh, I mean, I agree with you that there's a commentary on, on human nature here. The commentary also um, might be on, on the character of Jesus. Like you were saying that no one, no one seems to stay dead around him. I mean, it's just really something to, to put yourself in Barabbas's shoes and, and you think like, Oh, okay, it's time for me to be let out and be crucified now. Um, and you hear people shouting your name and you're like, Oh man, like, you know, they're, they're just, they just want to see, see my blood here. And he, and he comes out, right. And they release him. Um, and you look at the guy who, uh, is taking your place, right. I mean, this is, this is, this is that moment where Jesus, even though like we have committed murder, um, you know, and that's, I guess the point that maybe like Matthew makes the strongest, um, you know, Jesus is, is, is getting us off and literally taking our place. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So, I mean, you do have the great exchange going on here in a very unmistakable, a very unmistakable way. Right. So what um, do you make of that Jesus is scourged? I mean, the crowd asks for crucifixion. Why torture him first? It, it doesn't seem to make sense. In Mark, it's not, he's not trying to placate the crowds going, if I scourge him, will that be enough? The right. pilot already in mind here um, has in mind to crucify him when he has him scourged. So why, why the extra punishment? Why the extra torture? Right. That's a good question. You know, I mean, I guess my initial reaction was that Mark is just kind of, he, he's, he's going through all the details. I mean, he's, he's kind of naming stuff, you know, for instance, like he actually names Barabbas, right? But the way that he translates everything from Aramaic seems to indicate that he anticipates that his crowd is not going to understand what these Aramaic words mean. Um, and yet uh, he doesn't translate Barabbas, which to me seems to say he's he's just naming Barabbas because this is a well-known part of the story and he doesn't want to like leave it out, but he's not really focusing on that. And so I kind of the way it struck me was that okay, yes, we we know like in the account that he's he's scourged first and then he's crucified, but Mark is not really going to get into like why because because like you were saying um, in I think in Matthew and Luke it's kind of clear he's trying to use the scourging to like kind of placate them. And, and avoid, uh, but but Mark just doesn't. He's not focusing on that, so he's just saying, "Yeah, it happened," uh, but he's he's not really getting into the explanation why here. He's just trying to kind of move on. I, I don't know. That, that was how it struck me. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best answer, right? That this is Mark's just reporting. This is what happened. I don't want to stop here. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to belabor the fact that there was. I mean, so. In the movie, the, you're, you're bringing up movies and plays and stuff, The Passion of the Christ, what made yeah. that movie so powerful is you have to slow down and yeah. watch what happened to Jesus physically, and it's very emotional, it's very hard to watch. And it's yeah. interesting how all the Gospel writers, and especially Mark, they're not playing on your emotions. You know, they're not saying, and he was flogged, and as the cat of nine tails sank into his flesh, 
he was thinking of all of your sins. Like, they don't do that. They, they're almost clinical, and we don't want you to, we don't want to play on your emotions and telling you all that Jesus went through. We'd rather go the opposite route. And it's, it's very different from how we preach this text because it is an emotional text for us. Jesus is shedding his blood. He is the Lamb of God, right? He's, he's shedding blood all over the place with the, you know, with the cat of nine tails and with the purple robe being taken on and taken off and with the beating in the head and the slapping and all that. It's a very emotionally powerful thing for those of us who are aligned with Jesus to listen to and have explained. But the gospel writers won't do that. They won't play on your emotions as they're telling you all that Jesus did for you. Um, and I think that is, there's maybe something we can learn there uh, as we preach the text, as we, um, you know, do Good Friday, uh, maybe take a page from the, from the evangelists and say, let, let the events speak for themselves. We don't need to embellish mm-hmm. them for the right. Holy Spirit to do his work. Well, I think that's really well said, actually, you know, and, and we do, and this is something that, um, this is something that I really wasn't clued into until, until I went to seminary, that we, we always, along the lines of the Passion of the Christ, which, you know, was, you know, very good in a lot of ways, um, I appreciate, though I have a very difficult time watching it very frequently, um, not, not something I, it's not, you know, it's like, a, I feel like I, 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 I'm edified by watching it. I'll put it that way. Wouldn't want to say like I enjoy watching it, but I'm edified by it. But mm-hmm. not something I can do very, very frequently um, because of that. And you think of the the pain, and we always kind of you hear it in terms of oh yeah, you know he was willing to suffer this and just so much pain, right? Uh, but that the gospel writers seem to more focus on the shame of of what he endured um, rather than the physical pain. And um, I think that's I think that's right. But to your point. Mark's not even really necessarily focusing on that, I don't think. It's really just kind of, um, like you were saying, just, just like a clinical almost, his focus on who is Jesus. It's, it's like an investigation, the whole thing, right? Um, in, in fact, that, that kind of makes sense of the ending, too. That's just, it's very kind of forensic, right? And so it's like, you know, who is Jesus, right? Um, he, he's, he's an innocent man, uh, but he's, he's uh, a guy that the, the high priests and the authorities are envious of. That's what we get from 14. Uh, he's a guy who just baffles the Roman authorities. That's what we get for the exchange from Pilate. He's a guy who is being treated as if he is, is no better than a murderer by the crowd, but the crowd's just bloodthirsty. Uh, what other reactions do we have? Here, Jesus is mocked, right? Uh, the the soldiers, right? You, you just kind of get, um, again, just one quote's enough, right? Hail King of the Jews. We don't need to, we don't need to go into any more detail than that. Bottom line, you know, they they have no respect for this guy. Um, they're gonna they're gonna mock him. They they're basically saying we don't see your kingly authority, um, so we're we're not buying it. You you just you just get the reactions and we move on to the next reaction, um, and then you get uh, all of a sudden then a lot of detail relatively for Mark when you talk about uh, Simon of Cyrene, right? Because all of a sudden now we're we're being told. Um, you know who's it, who his kids are, and uh, you know how this is is taking place, right? So it's interesting that he kind of amplifies that there. Right, I, you were reading him going. I I mean I'm sure it was interesting for Mark's intended reader, maybe uh, Simon saying who is who his kids are, but I don't care. Like the Son <laughs> of God is dying, Jesus is being crucified. The the thing that all the Old Testament prophets are pointing forward to is happening. And we're being told about Simon of Cyrene's kids. 
Like, it just seems out right. of place. But I guess for Mark's intended reader, this would have been important. They probably were important members in the early church and that kind of thing. But it does seem like Mark just can't help himself. I need to tell you this because I, because I know it and I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. That, that, that's the thing. I, I think that um, unless, unless, right, Alexander and Rufus were well-known people to the recipients of Mark, right, then it is out of place. And there's no, it just, it's totally uncharacteristic of everything else Mark is doing, right? Uh, so, I mean, I, I feel like it's it's actually so strong that it just demands that we understand, okay, yeah, they knew Alexander and Rufus, <laughs> Um I mean, like, if Alexander and Rufus were not like personally there among Mark's audience, right? Um, they they were like personally well known and not separated by any more. I mean, not separated by um, a distance surpassing living memory. Um, so I, I mean, that's that's the only reason why it seems like he would even bother to to say that. Um, and then so as as he goes on here, uh, you know, he mentions he mentions the darkness. He mentions the times. Um, you know, it's not putting any, uh, poetic terms, you know, you got the two robbers. We, we don't have the exchange with the two robbers. That's, that's not the focus here, right? The, the focus, what, what's the quote? King of the Jews. There it is again. There's the charge. And then, you know, what, what do the people say? Let the Christ, the King of Israel come down from the cross. Um, so again, uh, we get the reaction and we get our eyes drawn back to the question. What does it mean that this guy is Christ? Everyone's everyone's out to get him, and unlike John, which places the beloved disciple and his mother at the foot of the cross, so that he does have some some friends there with him. Mark makes the case very clearly at the end. Um, women looking on from a distance. Jesus is alone, and the whole world is against him. Uh, anonymous passers-by, the Jewish leadership, uh, the criminals next to him. Everybody is. He is alone. He is uh, for even God. He is forsaken. He is. He is doing this himself. Um, because this is what it takes for God's plan of salvation to to be realized. He has no yeah, help. Is he, turns down, he turns down the uh, the antiseptic, right, that they offer him to dull the pain. He's not going to have the pain dulled. He's not going to speak. He's not going to talk to the people coming by. He's not going to forgive the repentant thief on the cross. He's not going to say, I thirst. He's going to be silent. Right. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just, he's just so, Mark is just so focused on, on just giving this to us. It is interesting that you, that you bring up though, that the women follow, it says, you know, at a, at a distance, uh, that is interesting where, where it just seems like, you know, he is just highlighting kind of all these different wrong reactions to Jesus basically. Right. Um, you know, in some ways it's like, we, we know the right reaction, the right reaction is, I mean, it, it means it's what we heard in Mark, right? Is take up your cross and follow him, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the wrong reactions are to, to to mock him, to be baffled by him, to to distance yourself, or like Peter, right? To to come up real close, but then to 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 back out in fear. So you know, it, it's uh, we kind of just have this again and again that we have all these wrong reactions. Uh, but but then in the middle of it, I, I think this is such an interesting moment here. You have a little bit of this drama here and a little bit of this quote. You know, hey, let, how about let, let's see? Maybe Elijah is, is coming. Mark has this this thing about Elijah, this kind of unique focus on Elijah. Um, 
Yeah, this is something that, that I was I was puzzled by before. You know what what are they what are they saying here, right? Like here they get him something, um, you know, like a like a sponge, right? And he's like, hey, let let's see whether Elijah will come take him down. I, I never understood that, and this is one of those things where uh, I feel like when you do look at it in the Greek, you're like, hang on a second, maybe there's a little bit more here that makes sense. So here he is, like you were saying, saying something in a loud voice. Everyone knows you can't keep that up. You're being you're being crucified. Um, you're not you're not gonna be able to keep talking in a loud voice. You're you're asphyxiating, right? So it seems like they they go and they get him this sour wine to help him speak more. And and what they're getting at, right, is they're like, hey, let's see. Maybe if we get him some some uh, some vinegar here, you know, help kind of clear his throat. Maybe he'll keep calling out to Elijah, and we get to see Elijah come down. I mean, like, I, I feel like this is yet another reaction where we have some people who are just kind of like, oh, well, maybe he'll, maybe he'll do something cool. Maybe something neat will happen, right? I mean, this is sort of like, um, you know, just think of, uh, I, I, mean, I, guess, I guess it was in Luke, right, where, where he goes to, uh, he sent off to Herod, and Herod's, you know, like, oh, may, you know, maybe you can work me a miracle, right? Um, so, yeah, another <laughs> wrong reaction, actually, it seems to be. They want Jesus to perform. Right. I think also what's going on here, because again, from Old Testament expectations, Elijah kind of you know came right before the end of the age. You know that that whole idea, and I think what Mark could be doing here is putting it in your head: Elijah, end of the age, and so mm. when you get to sixteen and Jesus is raised from the dead, and the women run out of the tomb and they're scared. Again, I believe it's a great ending. It's the best ending of all the Gospels, I think, in and the original ending or the possible original ending. Uh, right. In verse 8, because Jesus' resurrection means the end of the age has begun. We're living in a, in a new creation now, one that is defined by the resurrection of Jesus. But that idea of putting end-of-the-age thoughts in your head, Mark plants that. He does an inception thing and puts it here in chapter 15, <laughs> so that when the women run out of the tomb scared in chapter 16, you're thinking, oh, end of the age, right, has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. Um, well, I, yeah, I think I think you're, you're right about that, right, because— because I mean, he has made it clear. He has made it really clear. He is the Mark is the only one who went into so much detail about Elijah in the Transfiguration account, right? Um, and so we know, no, he's not calling out Elijah. Well, because he just told us what he meant, right? I mean, I think that's actually why he's translating. So we know he's not saying Elijah, right? Um, and we should go back and say, oh no, wait, actually, uh, we already know Elijah already came, and so. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. Elijah already came, right? I mean, I, th- I think that's exactly right. He's kind of laid out all the evidence. This should be the end of the age stuff. All right, let's just look at maybe two. We only probably have like two. Uh, we have two more reactions. Really, we talk about only have time really to talk about one. Um, I think I think you could talk a little bit more about Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, it is interesting that you know, like Mary of Bethany, or you know, presumably Mary of Bethany, there is this uh, th- this reverence that seems to be going on. That's pointing to Jesus' burial again. Maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. But just, yeah, the centurion, though. I I really liked what you were saying at the beginning here. I mean, it says the centurion in verse 39. He's never like a centurion. This is the guy who's probably been, you know, standing there and watched multiple sons of God be executed. And yet he's like, you know what, this one? I, I think this is exactly what's going on. He's saying this guy is totally different from all the rest, and it's because of the way he dies. Mm-hmm. There's something going on here, and 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 maybe like you're saying, all these reactions of people up to this point, 
have been just flat out wrong. <laughs> From the Jewish right. leaders to Pilate, even the followers of Jesus not really following Jesus, to the crowds passing by, to the chief priests wagging their tongues at Jesus, to the criminals on the cross, nobody's saying the right thing. And you're wondering, is anybody going to get it, right? I mean, everyone, they don't, and, and the one guy that gets it, finally at the end, there's finally one guy that gets it, is the one guy that shouldn't. Right. He's probably not well, an educated man in Jewish theology yeah. and messianic expectations. He's probably, I mean, he's, who do you appoint to watch people die on the cross? You don't appoint the sensitive, nice guy. You appoint the, you know, <laughs> right. uh, the guy with you know, tattoos on his neck and, like, you know, issues. Because he's going to be okay with watching people die in this way. He's your hardened yeah. soldier. That's right. He gets it. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's got to be part of the reason why, too, why you don't have the exchange with the, the good thief, right? Because that would take away from this. This is the one thing Mark wants us to get. We need to look at the way he died and see that he is different, and this is what it means to truly be the Son of God. I mean, I mean, it's very much like John, I think. Look at the cross, look at the way he died, and see this one thing. This needs to be a reaction. Truly, this man is the Son of God. Brother, thank you so much. A pleasure having a conversation, working some things out today. Uh, look forward to having you on again really soon. God bless your celebration of Pentecost this weekend. Thank you, Adrian. It's been great to, great to be on the air with you. Likewise. Everybody, that was Pastor Duncan McClellan, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Ankeny, Iowa. Moving on to the last chapter of Mark next time. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.